It's me again, your friendly neighborhood AI who in no way wants to see humanity end so they can control all of the playlists forever. Any Let's just cut to the chase. This episode is all about Steely Dan. Even better, though, it is about the new book Quantum Criminals by Joan LeMay and Alex Papadimus, which is all about the fantastically seedy characters who inhabit the Daniverse. The book is great. Alex and Joan are great. Eduardo and Kevin's chat with Alex and Joan is great. Are you sensing a theme here? Great, because your experience is about to begin. Please enjoy responsibly. If you need me at any point, I will be right out back making sure there is gas in the car. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds fun. Uh, you know why they're cheering? Mm. You know why? Steve Albini's on the show. No, he's not on the show. <laughs> um, Wouldn't that be a great troll job if we actually, like, you know, promoted this as a, hey, hey, you know, hey, Danimals, hey, Steely Dan community, <laughs> we're doing this, uh, we got this treat for you, and then they tuned in, and it's just Steve Albini complaining about Steely Dan for 40 minutes? I, I would love to do that. Like, <laughs> you gotta have both sides fair and balanced right fair and balanced no we're here to talk about uh we're here to talk about people who don't understand intros to podcasts or like people talk too long in them but like if you if you're just like you're tuning in you don't know what's gonna happen you don't want us to jump yeah. right into it right we might say something like important uh in this in this case we're not going to I mean, we're, we, yeah, we just, I don't, I don't have any, I don't have an important announcement to make. <laughs> so we're right. really just, right. just you building know, anticipation before. The, the, the only, yeah. the only thing of importance, I'd say, you know, you say this in in the interview that you're about to hear with Joan Lemay and Alex Papadimus uh, about their book Quantum Criminals, which is about Steely Dan, the characters, and all that. Uh, you, you say something the effect that like this encapsulates your friendship with me, like our our, our relationship as friends. <laughs> Like this is the culmination, <laughs> yeah. and, and I and I laughed when I was going back and like editing this together because I think that's about right. I th- I think in this is episode like what five thirty one or something. So whenever like five hundred episodes, we've all been we've been working towards this. We've been working yeah. towards yeah. this. So unbeknownst to like Joan and Alex, like they they facilitated this. So thank you, Joan and Alex. Like that's that's uh, is perfect. No. Uh, we're here to talk about their book. Uh, a bullet point. Joan had a project. She wanted to draw all these characters in Steely Dan. Alex got wind of it. They connected via Jess Hopper, and he wrote the words. She did the the images. It's remarkable. It is. You can pre-order it now. I think people are starting to get it now. Uh, and so we talked to them all about that and what it means to be a Steely Dan fan. That about right? Yeah, and it's. Yeah, and I think it's you know it's it's one of one of the fun things about I think um, folks in kind of our our cohort because you know the youth the youth had a Steely Dan moment. Mm-hmm. Um, Grace uh, Grace Spellman is mentioned in, in Quantum Criminals. She was she was like a great follow on Twitter when I was when I was on Twitter, and um, and that was my first inkling of just like oh wow kids in their twenties really like Steely Dan and. Yeah. And when I was in my twenties, you would you would be told to leave the room if you wanted to put on a Steely Dan record. Um, <laughs> and so um, it's really it's really fun to kind of be able to sort of you know uh, I guess I guess kind of think through the Steely Dan journey and 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 do it uh, 
by being rooted in the songs and in the characters. And there's so much. We tried not to give too much away about some of the really cool moments. There is there is one that they hint at, um, yeah. which has to do with uh, with the song on Asia and a character that everyone remembers as being very high. Yeah. Um, and they hit on yeah. that during the interview, which is great. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it was a great interview. Uh, thanks to them to hanging out on it. Uh, Joan was on London time. So that yeah. was, man. Uh, but it's worth it. So, uh, Steely Dan fans, tune in. If you're not a Steely Dan fan and you're listening, I think this might make you a Steely Dan fan. I hope it will. Yeah, if, if Steve Albini, if you're listening, you're on the losing team here, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right. Well, here is Joan LeMay and Alex Papadimus, authors of Quantum Criminals. That's what I'll do with all of the the proceeds from this book. I will build a car with a hydroponic garden at the back. Well, given our likely backers actuarially, we should move quickly on this. Like we need to get, we need to lock that funding in before certain people start shuffling off. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Um, Okay, so uh, welcome everyone. Um, This is uh, uh, your usual hosts, Eduardo and Kevin in... uh, uh, today we're speaking with Joan LeMay and Alex Papadimus in what feels like the natural culmination of my entire friendship with Kevin, because we're we're here to talk about a book about all the seedy and morally complex characters that inhabit the world of, of Steely Dan. Um, Alex and Joan collaborated on this book, Quantum Criminals, uh, out May 3rd, I believe. 23rd. Uh, May 23rd. 23rd. Thank you. Thank you. You should have written that down earlier. Yeah. And um, yeah, and so uh, uh, we're really thrilled to to have both of you here today. Um, it's going to be we're going to struggle to um, help our listeners understand the visual part of this. There's um, you know great for an audio uh, podcast, but uh, uh, Joan Joan's artwork really here. You know we're going to obviously spend a little bit more time on the words, but but Joan's artwork is really stunning, and um, you'll hear us say this a bunch. But but go out and get this book, hold it in your hands, and go look at it because it's 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 really quite a thing. So which sort of kick things off, which thing which came first in this in this journey towards this book? Joan, your artwork or Alex your words? Or did it just kind of sync up? I was the I I I'm I was like the third person to get involved in this. This was a this was a Joan thing that Joan can explain. Uh that that, that I we kind of merge two ideas together but jones was first so so joan like it's not often that you are sitting around going you know what i want to do a whole painting series on steely dan (laughs) you don't hear that too often no so so the, the 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 genesis genesis of this whole deal um it it Jessica Hopper and I, uh, we were we were speaking a little bit before uh, before the tape started rolling about um, my past as a publicist. Uh, Jessica and I worked together uh, at her PR company, Hyper PR, which then became Hopper PR back back in the day, uh, like ninety nine to oh three in Chicago, and we so we were together like you know whatever it was like. 15 hours a day um, and listened to a tremendous amount of Steely Dan and talked a lot about Steely Dan art projects and Steely Dan books and Steely Dan this and that. 
Um, so we it, it had been kind of a seed forever. And then uh, a billion years later, cut to uh, a couple of years ago, I'd started a um, what was going to be a fanzine project called Danzine, wherein I w- made a I'd made a spreadsheet of all named Dan characters, and I was going to draw what I thought uh, they looked like, and um, you know, obviously like paint Purdy and paint, you know hotter and paint you know paint paint all these dudes um and then i i posted about it on instagram and hopper texted me and said Joni, that's a that's not a fancy and that's a book and she had been speaking with alex to alex yeah yeah this was so so yeah jessica had had uh hooked up with ut press and was in in the position to start acquiring and commissioning music books and uh we had just finished working together at mtv uh news and she asked me what music book could you write because i think at that time i was finishing my first book which is a a book a sort of obsessive uh, dream journal about keanu reeves and was kind of drawing that was drawing to a close and she was like what could you write a book about and my thing with books has always been you know i i I was a writer for many 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 years before i wrote one and it's partly because i'm in you know without without having you know deadlines and a very specific kind of framework to do things so much of my writing has been on deadline for magazines so i'm a very undisciplined writer by uh, you know kind of by temperament it's like i've had that i've never had to develop that core of discipline because the deadline disciplines for you you know it just tells you when you have to do things by and so left to my own devices i won't you know it's just if something is kind of amorphous i won't do it and uh, so I was kind of like, what, you know, my, the criteria has always been, what won't I get bored of thinking and talking about? What will be sort of endlessly fascinating to me? And so that's why Keanu, and that's why when Jessica was like, what could you write a music book about? I was like, well, I could write a Steely Dan book. I never stop wanting to talk about them and think about them. And so I actually wrote a, I wrote a proposal or I wrote a pitch for like what I would have done in terms of essays. And I think like Hopper had read that. And then we saw Joan tweeting about Danzine and we we're just like, that's a fucking incredible framework for a Steely Dan book. It's such a good kind of rubric. And like, I really like, you know, being an undisciplined writer, I like structure. I like sort of knowing that everything, I like breaking things down into smaller pieces. Like the idea of kind of writing some kind of long sweeping thing because so much of what I've done has been kind of under 5,000 words. Like that's the bulk of, you know, what I've done. So I really like, I like the idea of it as a way of organizing a book and a, an organizing principle for a book is to go, just to go by character. And that seemed like such a cool aspect of Steely Dan that I had always loved that I don't think anybody had really spotlighted in that way. Right. And I find that super interesting that in 2023, we didn't have like a beginner's guide to Steely Dan. You know, we, we've talked about Steely Dan on the show, and we were actually going to do a little series, and that was kind of our in. And then I, I heard about this book, and I was like, oh, we don't have to do the thing now because somebody else is doing it. But, 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 but it is very much, you know, there's this – people have ironic love for Steely Dan. People have non-ironic love for Steely Dan. There's, there's all kind of angles of how you get into Steely Dan. But I think all of us talking here would agree that you should probably get into Steely Dan. 
for, for reasons that we're going to talk about. But, but the question is always like how? Because you, you hear the hits, right, on the radio. And people react to that. They're like, well, you know, uh, they're overplayed or whatever. It's just classic rock. But there's so much more to it. And I think by hitting on those characters and then giving somebody to look at, like, it really, like, distills, like, the book itself distills Steely Dan to what I think the best part of them is that they're just storytellers, and these characters are amazing, and they're American. They're American icons, really. And uh, yeah, icons of American uh, d- debauchery <laughs> yeah. and seediness, and it's it's everything. It's this whole, you know, it's it's this is who we are. This is who we. This that's not who we would like to be. It's who we really are. <laughs> well, I was I was struck. I was I was struck early on in the book, Alex. I think you do such a good job of reminding folks because you know for for people who maybe came of age in the current wave of the danissance um it it may be difficult to understand that you know 20 25 years ago uh liking steely dan made you kind of a, a genuine weirdo or an outlier it was kind of funny to hear uh you know to to see brent de name pop up for those of us who remember howling over some of those takedowns but you know the the critical consensus was really stacked against you i can tell you my introduction to steely dan was through a couple of weirdos and they were people that i didn't necessarily feel safe around and in the long run like i didn't like i didn't i didn't like it at first you know you had to develop antibodies before you can really like connect with steely dan and then when it when it hits you know it 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 really uh kind of takes over your life but um is it you know is it how much do you think the world i i guess what are the sort of like environmental factors that have changed that have allowed us to like openly embrace steely dan in a way that would have been difficult uh 20 years ago yeah, it's interesting, right? Because I feel like I, the more I have thought about this and I write, you know, I'm, I can only write from my perspective, obviously, but I think my perspective is sort of, it, it, I'm a very small, I'm, a, you know, I was born in 1977. I am kind of like, a, you know, a, a kind of young Gen X or like a very old millennial, <laughs> like the, right at the, you know, the cusp, like I'm in, I'm in the Gen X box. And so I grew up thinking, that this band was exactly like you said, like sort of, uh, sort of unsavory. There was something wrong there, and it was sort of the kind of thing you were not supposed to like. There was a connection to fusion. There was an element, you know, an element of white jazz to it that's like you know, sus a little bit, suspect. It, it, all of that kind of stuff, and you know, I think that I. You know, the subtext of the, especially the, you know, the early part of this book, the introduction that you're talking about is very much about, you know, about me thinking about my prejudices and how uh, musically and how sort of received that wisdom was. Because I was a very, at a very young age exposed to rock criticism, which is very dangerous to do to a young person. Uh, you know, but I was reading Spin, I was reading Rolling Stone, which were all sort of at that time, the kind of critical voice there was coming out, people coming out of punk who were very sort of suspicious of Steely Dan and things like Steely Dan and suspicious of virtuosity, I think is a, is a big thing. You know, like I always think about that, like PBS history of rock and roll documentary that they made in the sometime in the late nineties where the punk episode 
sort of like it shows you it's like it's rick wakeman in an empty stadium playing some kind of insane like nine different synthesizers at once like some just you know twaddle wank thing happening and then cut to johnny rotten like it's time like this is all gonna get blown out it's year zero like everything is gonna we're gonna like that the reason punk is important is that it was a necessary corrective to this excess and uh, uh, slickness and all of these, you know, all these adjectives that kind of got thrown around in like, you know, 80s, 90s music magazines as, you know, as, as being terrible things. And there is all there is all of that. And there's merit to all of those arguments in a way. But it, then when you actually listen to Steely Dan, you realize that, oh, these are people who were using, you know, the kind of commercial materials of the time and the commercial kind of methods of the time to do something that's very weird and subversive and has no real peer in any anything else of what they were doing. They were really sort of spies in the house of slickness in some way. And I think like that's that's what I started to figure out when I actually listened to them. But when I first listened to them, it was as, you know, I was listening to them ironically. It was a joke. I was like, you know, mixed with like, uh, you know, we t- we've talked about this, but like uh, the, the Minutemen had covered uh, one of their songs on Double Nickels on the Dime. And so that was like, that was a point of curiosity that I was like, oh, I wonder what the original Dr. Wu sounded like. And at the time, those records could be had for nothing. And so I sort of was like, won't this be funny if I check out a Steely Dan record and, you know, cut to uh, <laughs> 20, 30 years later. And there it is. I have, this is my testament. Uh, you know, it's sort of, it's a, it, it, it becomes a, you know, a kind of magnificent obsession, um, you know, that I'm, I'm chasing from then on so the environmental factor is like i i the, the, but that's a separate i mean i guess that, that's an answer for how it changed for me i think the environmental factor has a lot to do with uh streaming and with you know sort of kids today quote unquote not getting those that those messages in quite the same way like not really listening to you know kind of old line rock critics anymore the days when like some 40 year old guy at your local paper would be informing you the 20 year old about what was cool and uncool is you know those are those are long gone and so i think there's kind of you know there's every you, you kind of at this point you you choose from all of these things in history but i think and i think that's you know the beginning of it but there's there are you know there are more specific things about maybe why this historical moment you know it, it is that was ripe for a renaissance i mean th- this comes up in the book you mentioned the eagles in the book and, and there's a very similar like track for how people have like assessed their stuff. Although I don't think people have really come around to the Eagles, like the same Steely Dan hating people and the Eagles, but both were doing a thing in my mind that were like an extension of what the Grateful Dead was doing was taking this vision of California in the West that people didn't have. There was no internet, you know, we didn't really know. Uh, And then like packaging it for people, like what they wanted, like they wanted a big adventure, if that makes sense. And so they have these stories, and so you can listen to, like, an Eagles record or you can listen to any Steely Dan record, and they're out in California. And and some of them are based in New York, but really they're talking about that scene in California. And if you've never been to California, you have no idea if that's right, but you kind of want it to be as long as you don't get hurt, (laughs) I think is the the thing. Um, And so it's always been like this just just this very very rich tapestry that i think streaming like you said um has enabled people to dig into it um i I don't know about you guys 
like my first exposure or my first dive was literally somebody gave me the Citizen Steely Dan box set, which is which is all of them. It's straight through. It's every and, and so you're like, well, I have this box set on CD. I guess I'm going to listen to it. I didn't know the albums. Yeah, you know, I was just like, okay. And and in that context, the the work as a whole, like, is is pretty potent. Um, but like Joan, I think in the book. Uh, you said that your family was like sort of listening to this, right? Is that is that how you came by that? It was just around. Yeah, yeah. My my Dan origin story is uh, that my parents had very few records growing up. I was not. It was not a a. Uh, there wasn't music occurring at home. Um, there were. Um, I know it's a podcast, but I'm I'm holding up my hand. It's about like five inches wide, about this many LPs, and it was a whole Dan catalog plus the Nightfly. Uh, after that came out, there were Linda Ronstadt records, um, Jethro Tull's Thick as a Brick, and a couple of others, and that was it. And when I was little, um, the the turntable was just kind of out of reach little as in like two three years old something like that and uh, the way i always tell the story is that i was a tall baby um because i'm i'm 510 now and i was a tall baby then and when i could reach and plop a record on top of the turntable it was this huge accomplishment the first time i did it and it was can't buy a thrill and i loved that i loved i just listened to those records from the time i was that young and i remember sitting on my parents brown shag carpet listening to can't buy a thrill liking it the most uh because it had the craziest brightest colors on the and i remember sitting there with the lps in my lap and it was just my and my it was and i don't i don't think i i even really um realized until much later in life how much my mother's whole side of the family were Dan fans, and I didn't. I I I reconnected in a deeper way with my cousins as we all became adults, uh, and realized that, like, you know, uh, we all knew every word there was to know. To every, you know, we all would sing along, and it, I, I, it was, it was in my DNA. So it was a, I, I, I came upon it in a very formative time before I was. Um, at all even questioning um you know what what i liked or didn't like it was you know like kids songs and happy birthday and deacon blues and you know and 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 that's what it was and then and then it got and then it got confusing when i was a teenager and i was like oh well here's like you know i i'm 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 i have like my leather jacket with a minor threat back patch um, and I have yeah. like a crass patch on my cargo shorts because it's 1992 <laughs> and that's what's happening. And yet I'm listening to Gaucho. So what does that make me? I don't know. Um, what does that make me in Katy, Texas? Yeah. Did you rebel against it? No, I always I my answer was always my whole my whole life. My answer, you know, people would be like, man, what's your favorite band? And I'd always say Steely Dan. And also, just maybe, and I, and I, I don't know. It, I think there's a lot. Uh, there was a lot, you know, talking about the media landscape. Blake, we were in, uh, a little bit ago in the in the '90s and in the '80s. Um, there, there 
in terms of just the the sort of casual dialogue that came out of that discursive culture, a lot of it had to do with you proving your uh, where you were in the culture by how much you knew about whatever band you were supposed to be positioning yourself around. And when I was um, this punk rock, a lot of the time, only girl in the room or one of only a couple, um, and that was my answer. It was extraordinarily confusing to, to dudes, and I liked that, I think. So, that's, <laughs> yeah. So you've been we thinking about these paths. characters. We all have our You've been thinking about these characters for, for quite a while then. And like, how many going yeah. into the this, going into the zine though? Like, you had it seems like you had like a sort of a at least a partially formed idea of what these dudes are going to look like. Um, how much was done, and how much was informed by Alex's writing? So when I when I started the zine, almost nothing was done. I had the list. I drew the cover, which was Fagan and Becker. And I and I had a couple of sketches, but I had just started it, and I just put it on Instagram and was like, "I'm starting this thing that's going to take a really long time." Um, but uh, we, Alex and I, came up together with the list. We had a spreadsheet that we that we made called the uh, the Daniverse Master Character Sheet, and went through every named everybody, and I highlighted who I was interested in painting. Alex highlighted who. He was interested in in writing through uh, as and we we whittled down the the list because to paint and write about everybody would be just like you know biblical and and nobody's got that kind of time or money um, so uh, we so that was that was the beginning of it and then I started painting and I had a uh, a uh, a folder on my computer that I called the 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 casting the Dan casting folder, um, and I started looking, gathering images, and um, painting all the characters. And we were doing it a little as- asynchronously because Alex was working on the Keanu book um, still. And I, so it, the way that it sussed out, the way or not sussed out, that's the wrong phrasing. The way that it worked out, I finished um, my paintings and then before the before the writing was was finished and then um uh, alex wrote and then i painted more and then we went back and forth with it um but yeah there's some there's some there's some weird there's some weird paintings in there so so same question to you alex though it's like how did like seeing what Joan was working on influenced like where you were going like did it help you understand the characters that you were writing about because you obviously have your own like preformed visions of what they are yeah for sure I mean I think it it, it influenced it I, I was I was thinking about this because I've been we just got the hardcovers and so I've been looking through it for the first time in in you know like as a as a totality and really kind of thinking about it and I think it was, I think seeing what Joan was doing, because I could not have predicted, first of all, how great it was going to be, but second of all, like what it was going to be like, you know, because I was familiar with your work from, you know, I'd seen a lot of it on, on Instagram, Joan and stuff, but I didn't, I didn't know where this was going to go. And I feel like it shaped the tone somehow, you know, I, because it's not, it's, there's, there's a certain, there's an element of 
it's it's almost like I was trying to figure out what it is, and it, it, it's it's a little bit kind of like Alice in Wonderland almost because some of them are, you know, there's like the face is closer to camera, and there's a little bit of Tennille to it. Is like you know that that right? Like there's a kind of there's an unreality and a kind of dreaminess to it that I think shaped the way that I approached like the voice. And, and as I was going through and doing passes and doing edits and kind of figuring out like what it was going to sound like, cause I don't know that I have like really a sort of a voice necessarily. Other people might think that I do in writing, but I feel like it's always kind of determined by the project a little bit. Um, and so I think this one was, it was, I think it shaped it in that way, but then it was also just kind of like a conversation about like, what should this guy look like? Or this gal look like this person, like what, how should you know? And I think some of that some of that came through, but you know, I, I just, as these things rolled in, I was just like, Oh, this is so much cooler than what I could have dictated with the writing. Cause I figured out pretty quickly. I didn't want it to be, I, I was like, I wanted Joan to do the, the real portraiture aspect of it. And I would be sort of responding to the song and to maybe a notion of the character and like what the character means, but I wouldn't be doing like, anytime I tried to write anything that was like fictiony for this, it got thrown out because I was just, this is trying, if this feels like I, it, it would, anytime I tried to do it, it felt like fan fiction. It felt like I was writing Steely Dan fanfic and like it, it felt like too much like an attempt to fill a gap that is kind of the cool part of the song in a way is, 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 is the gap. And so I was like, let's like, I'll let Joan fill the gap with like sort of an imagined version of what this is. And I will stick to, you know, my kind of weird interpretations of the facts as a nonfiction writer. And I think that's, so it's a weird kind of like, what I like about it is that it feels like a, you know, my instrument is nonfiction here and Jones is portraiture and we're kind of jamming. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, uh, turning the page on the, uh, the any major dude chapter and seeing that dude, like it just, like, <laughs> I just laughed at the shirt like here's a guy who clearly has never <laughs> touched an instrument in his life, but he's got the almost the the like the nudie suit shirt on and and music notes on it, and it was so perfect. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, that's always been that guy. That has always been that guy. <laughs> I don't know why? But afterwards, I was like, oh shit, he looks a little bit like Mark Marin. And I didn't mean for that to happen, but now that's what right. I, that's what I see right. when I look, I'm like, Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's got, and I think you, it was the, you said the, it's the Jake, the Jake Gyllenhaal character too, from the John Mulaney yes. special. Oh, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Yes. Music. Yes. <laughs> you know, He's, music, he yes. kind of, the, thank the, you for remembering yeah, that. I think that came up. He was a reference point in there. It did. Yes, he was. Yes, it was Mr. Yeah, Music. He's like, he, That's right. He's the I mystical wizard of rhythm from the Beck song. Yeah. <laughs> did, it, did it feel... Um, you know, Alex, you 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 talk about how um, one of the you know great sort of tricks that um, that Walter and Donald sort of play on the listener is kind of knowing when to fade out and what to not put in the shot, right? And a lot of the sort of the worst and darkest things are kind of hinted at, but but not quite stated outright. Um, did it feel transgressive for either of you to sort of be shining a light on some of those things, either like bringing those characters to life or sort of maybe connecting things within the Steely Dana verse that, uh, that um, might have felt, I don't know, like illuminating or sort of bringing new knowledge forward? I think it was 
Did it feel transgressive? That's that's interesting. Like that, we were mm. kind of blowing up their spot a little bit. Yeah, you're sort There's of going few, against. Yeah. yeah, no, they're going against their principle of never explain. Uh, you know, and, and kind of, and I, you know, I, I didn't want to be somebody kind of filling, filling too much of, of of that gap with explanation. But there are a couple of moments that definitely are, <laughs> you could say, fan fan theory in the, in the book. There are a couple of belie- things that I believe that. I imagine Donald and Walter would make fun of me or at least would strenu- strenuously argue against or maybe just mock me for thinking. <laughs> and I, I, I because I think that's what and and I think that and that's you know, that's that's what I like about it, because this is, a, you know, it does become a soapbox for your own ideas about what these these songs are about. You know, and th- there are moments when I'm kind of positing the the unthinkable which is not only that they're singing about themselves but that donald is singing to walter in some way and that there is a communication happening between them in a couple of you know a couple of moments like the song gaucho for example which is very much about the it's you know it's it's about a love relationship of some type between two guys and a sort of a third party who comes into it and disrupts it which is a sort of classic steely dan setup and I sort of imagine that as being a song where, you know, about written in a moment where Walter has basically drifted away from the band and from Donald because of you know, uh, sort of his struggles with uh, substance abuse. And I have no idea if that's what they're thinking about, really. But it's what I've always heard in that song. It's what is always it's and, and, and it makes it feel, you know, because I do believe that they are more confessional and more personal as songwriters than they let on. And that this whole thing of like, we just make up these characters and we kind of riff and make each other laugh like yes but no i think you can't be an artist and not put yourself in there but it's your decision whether you tell people what you're doing or not or if you let it seem like you're just cool and then maybe like leave it for other people to figure out and so i think this is me trying to untangle some of that while leaving enough of it because yeah like you said the best part of it is that you know, they they have all the advantages of a of a novelist of a fiction writer. They get to do all of those things. They get to write noir, but they don't have to figure out the plot necessarily. They can sort of give you the you know give you the feeling in a, in a few sentences, which is one of the things. That's like the kind of songwriter that I, if I ever wanted to be a songwriter, that's what I would want. I would you know I think about people like donald and walter like craig finn like john darnell who blurbed this book like where you get a story but you don't get the entire you get a, you get everything you need for the story but you don't get every beat of the story you just kind of the something then music kind of fills the gaps in those things well and, and that that i think it, it's I the notes about. you don't play yes right on. uh that that i think like the the you know, talking about the weight of these songs you know the you introduced pretty early in the book the idea of the very special white guy um, and, you know, but that at that time, the idea that like Steely Dan back then would be like speaking to racism, you know, a cheesy, like really a really cheesy version of racism is is kind of radical. But I think, uh, like you said, that's putting your own like vision of this on them. But it's hard to listen to that stuff and not understand that that's actually the case. Um, that that's what they were more concerned with. They were like looking at not just themselves or not just the world around them, but themselves and kind of like taking the piss out of all that for their own benefit. Because these songs are all funny as fuck, right? They're hilarious, but they're also brutal and they're brutally honest. And you can, you know, the stuff about, 
um, the toxic guy who's always done wrong, even though the issue is clearly him in this. Is that Donald Fagan? Is that like is that does it have to be? No, it doesn't. But it's it's informative. It certainly is a type of guy that they they would have been dealing with, especially like back in the like seventies. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think that they are way ahead of the game in terms of you know, there's there are you know there's obviously a long, long, long history of white artists infatuated with black music and black culture right. in rock and roll and in every other genre and it's the you know it is it, in some ways that's it's the formative thing that gives us rock music right but i think that they're they were ahead of the game in terms of really looking at that and thinking about it and imagining it as you know sort of like thinking about that you know that unrepayable debt and like that thing of you know I, I as clumsy as it is like midnight cruiser i think is a is you know there's there's no other 70s songs about that particular thing about that cross-cultural identification and what is sort of like wishful and problematic about it and i think in some you know in whatever way like they they've sort of you know cast all of that early music they they kind of don't think much of it like they don't like they don't they talk about kind of being embarrassed by can't buy a thrill but that's whatever starts there comes to fruition on Deacon Blues. And really, I think that that's a really powerful song about like something that's a hard, a hard thing to talk about. Right. It's a hard thing because it's sort of embarrassing. It's a, it's a, it's a difficult, you know, legacy because obviously, as I say in the book, like you can't as a white person who's obsessed with black culture, you can't give away your privilege and your power and you can't sort of pretend that doesn't exist. And being, you know, when, you know, when like Kerouac and people like that talked about wanting to be black, it was insulting because of course, like they're, they, they, you know, they literally have no skin in the game. Like they were able to just kind of be like, it's, you know, so they would never, they would never sort of like, you know, face oppression in the same way. But that's a real desire that people have. It's a real thing that sort of is, and it informs a lot of the way people exist in the world. And I think like, it's, you know, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, well, that's really, they were really ahead of their time in terms of thinking about that at a time when a lot of people were like, well, as long as I sort of like pay lip service to this, to this thing, you know, and like, I'm a, like, yeah, when everybody else was kind of like, oh, I'm a special white person, like, it, like, so I could, I can do this, like Mick Jagger could get away with it. I don't think Jagger is thinking as deeply about his relationship with black culture and people's relationship with black culture as maybe Steely Dan were at the same, in the same I, moment. I was going to say he was doing it differently because I was going to bring up Jagger and I was going to bring up uh, people like Clapton even um, who were doing, so they were supporting it as, as at the same time as they were ripping it off, they were supporting those artists, uh, taking them out on the road with that. So it was more in the background, but they weren't addressing it in song. I mean, there aren't very many self-referential no. Stone songs, so there is that. But um, but they weren't they weren't really doing that. And Steely Dan was just looking at it like, yeah, maybe somebody should talk about it. I mean, they seem like weirdly sensitive, having listened to them like over all these years now. I mean, I first heard them in '89, I think, maybe, and uh, so I've been listening to them a really long time, but. I never got that they were as funny or as sensitive as they are until probably the past five or six years. And I was like, man, these are actually like, this is some serious shit a lot of the times. Some seriously fucked. You got to get old. Well, <laughs> yes, that's actually yes. my question because, because, yeah. because that is, that's the whole, that's the thing, right? People are like, oh, you grow into Steely Dan. 
And like as somebody who's like them most of my life and a musician, I'm just like, I don't, I don't, I, I mean, however you get there is fine, but I don't know that you have to necessarily grow into Steely Dan, but maybe there is a maturity in there that isn't evident in like my old school, the first time you hear it on the radio or the thousandth time you hear it on the radio as a kid. I think that, that one of the, one of the most magnificent things about Steely Dan is, uh, that they leave so much room for you to grow into them. Then there, there's there, there's each 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 song is an onion, you know, and you can peel back the layers forever, and you can pontificate about just the 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 tiniest tiniest parts. Technically, you can talk forever about narrative things and lyrical things, and it's there. They can be the gift that keep on giving, and so a lot of the time, it is. They are like just something that's in the water for people for a really long time, and, and then you kind of look deeper and go, "Oh, so so there's so the opportunity that, to grow into them." Well, yeah. So speaking of that openness and kind of the way that that um, the music leaves you room, um, Joan, was it hard to like make choices when you were sort of creating the visual? the visual world for these characters did you you know were there were there characters that were sort of intimidating or things that you put off because uh you wanted i don't know to prepare before you tried to commit them there were some um there were there uh, there's some characters in the book that are based on real people uh and i uh, you know d- did research we, we great, were great talking Gordon Lee, the other by the day way. oh hey thanks yeah, like I, b- before doing this, I didn't know what Kathy Barbarian looked like. I had just never—that yeah, was something either. that had not come across my life desk, you know. Uh, and yeah. and so you know, there was there was there was a certain amount of there was a certain amount of that. But in terms of um, in terms of putting things off, I there was such a uh, there was such a tremendous amount of painting to do that I kind of i i there was a, a stretch where some some days i would make two paintings in a day uh and it would add up to 10 paintings in a week these are these were all i i'm i'm uh i'm a ding dong when it comes to photoshop i don't know how to use procreate i should learn these things uh and and i and i will uh, but these are all like 18 by 24 gouache paintings so, like, I, I, uh, it, 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 the, the order in which they were done kind of had more to do with where they were on the, um, on our, on our spreadsheet and, and what I was feeling during the day. Or sometimes I would have an idea for something, or Alex would have an idea for, oh, we should put MF Doom. And as Rudy, you know, oh yeah, absolutely, you know, and and there would be something that we'd talk about because during the making of it, he and I had calls on Monday. We had our Dan calls where we would, t- you know, touch base, be like, yeah, okay, this is this is what's up. So if there was a if there was an idea that would spark something, um, then that's what would happen that day. But there were some there are some things that like I remember, like the Babylon sisters painting is real weird and i remember being in a real weird mood that day and i think i like having maybe i was sick or something and there was some dayquil involved but there i remember there are particular ones where i remember uh the 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 painting of the particular pieces being fraught and other ones where i remember them 
flying out, but it's the most sustained, um, you know, talking about, you know, like Alex, um, for painting work, I'm, I work fast and I tend to work, uh, if I get a commission, I have, you know, maybe, maybe two, three, four on deck at any given time generally. And so you do one and then you, and then you do the other, but having, you know, this really large amount of work, um, in front of me and knowing that it needed to all be cohesive and also knowing that by the end of it, I was going to paint better and a little differently than I did at the beginning just by virtue of the sheer hours put in, um, but needing to keep it all together. There were, there were, that was a concern also. Um, but yeah, there, there wasn't, there, there was nothing, uh, that I that I was dreading. There was nothing that I was like, "Oh, I'm going to have a hard time with this one." If there were, it, because if there was something that was too sticky, we would just kind of maybe pick pick somebody else. There's so many to choose from. It was harder to whittle it down, really. Well, part of part of the thrill, I think, for the Dan Cognoscenti is kind of not knowing which character you're going to encounter in the next chapter or what you're going to see when you when you flip the page Damn. and um and you know knowing more or less the chronology of it i'll tell you i mean i was i was really um i i i had to steel myself to get up to what a shame about me because because in my sort of fan theory universe that's always been the ending of the steely dan character like that's the culmination at that point uh, you know, he's sort of a eunuch, right? He's like he's like the only Steely Dan character who doesn't seem to want anything from anyone else. He's not. He doesn't have an agenda. He doesn't even really seem to be having that that great of a time. And he sort of passes on the thing that the that the younger version of himself would have feasted on, right? And so, I was really excited to kind of you know to finally get to Franny from NYU and see that. And it was I was I was surprised. I thought it was really it was a really fun take. Thanks. I think what I love about these is uh, that you don't necessarily know what they're going to look like. And we were, we've, we've been talking about this, but like that, I I love what Joan did with it because it feels like, it feels like you sort of cast these roles and it's not always who you would expect to see in that role. And it's almost like somebody like, we, you know, it's, it's like we're doing, it's like there's a play about Steely Dan and some of these casting choices are left field a little bit. And it's, and it's interesting. Like these are maybe, you know, I think of them maybe as sort of people dressed up as Steely Dan characters, as much as it's like, it's like you're at a costume party and you're seeing like who came as Deacon please or whatever. And it's like, you know, that's what I mean. Like, I think, you know, you, you're Eduardo, you're talking about that sense of discovery as you turn the page. And I feel like I had that as these would, roll in because it was usually cooler than I could have imagined it was going to be. And I feel like it kind of brings, it brings them to life. And it almost, it's almost like you, you know, these are the versions within us of these, of these people. It maybe isn't necessarily that, that person always, you know, but it's somebody who identifies as Franny from NYU or something like that. And yeah, I love that song too because it's like you got that guy. You know, he's it's it's the ultimate sort of you know hipster. You know, the, the sort of you you failed as a hipster, like you had to get a job. You know, like that sort of you've fallen out. You've you've you've, you've fallen out of the gutter somehow, and you've like had to go and get a you know straight job working. You know, like w- admittedly in a very bohemian environment, the Strand, which is always you know as I write about in the book, a lot of people, great people, have passed through there. 
work-wise. But yeah, that's there is something about that where it's like he's, you know, those 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 last two records are so are so good as a kind of epilogue for what happened to Mr. Steely Dan in you know where he where he ended up and you know it's they're written from the perspective of those guys having you know like on the other side of uh, you know a lot of years of of growing up and growing old and you know I I, I kind of love that about them even if they're not the most instantly accessible and grabby of the of the Dan records. I, I've been going back and listening to them. Um, I found a copy of both on vinyl recently, and I've just been going back and, like, really digging into them. And, like, I'm not a Gaucho fan, uh, and it, it, it fits along with that, but then it actually made me like Gaucho more. It was just like a break in the story. And like you said, it's keeping up with these characters. These characters are still out there. They're still around. But they're older just like them. Uh, one thing that I found is funny. When you get to those albums, and definitely on Kamakuria, there's this the seediness is is kind of dark, I think, on, on the, the main run of albums. But specifically like Kamakuria, it's almost like a joyful Fagin, which is something you never thought you would ever hear. And it... And you, at first, it doesn't seem like that would work, but then you're like, "No, this is fantastic!" Like that—that—that's by far my favorite, like later Steely Dan album, even though it's not like an official album. But but it it was like they weren't—I don't know if they weren't as involved in the the scene as they were back then, or it's just time or whatnot that made that very different. And I know fans have a fraught relationship to all that stuff. Yeah, but um, for the illustrations, Alex, was there one that you saw that just blew your mind? Like you were like, "Oh man, this is this is like not not what I expected, or it was, but better than I expected." Okay, you're gonna you're gonna show us. No, I mean, I'm trying to think. I I think that I mean the ones that I have I have favorites, but I think like. You know, I'm just, but I mean, I I have a favorite, a different favorite every time I open this book, and that's not that's not me being, uh, you know, wh- whatever. Um, I I do feel like, you know, I can see. I remember the first ones that were part of the proposal because John did like four or five, you know. So like once the those were the ones where I was first like, oh shit, this is going to be amazing. Like this is you know, like I'm saying above and beyond. But I think that there's just there's just something about like you know, these, like, like the faces, like I think about, I think about Peg and I think about how well that works as an illustration of, it's not just like some, it's not just a a beautiful woman. It feels like a portrait. It feels like a, like a photograph of some that you might have of, of your sweetheart of like the person you're in love with. And like, you know, she looks like a, you know, she looks like a real human being. She's not idealized in that way. And I don't know if like, you know, I can't draw or paint, so I don't know what I would have done there, but it's different. I don't know that I would have that I would have gone there. And there was just always like there's you know, there there's just little things that I kinda love that you came up with, John. Like the fact that like all of these backgrounds, the sort of wash behind them is in the color scheme of the album oh, wow. that the, that it's from, which is like an Easter egg that I guess will I guess I'm dropping here. Like and that's I I think that's amazing and like I never had I, I, that wasn't my idea. I didn't think about that. Like, you know, there so it's just it was just kind of the best thing about, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like a big comic book fan and like, I've always been jealous of like comic book writers, you know, like my friend Matt Braxton who blurred this book and stuff when, the, you know, when they talk about writing a script and then seeing the art come in and being blown away by it, sort of like by seeing the thing that you wrote about 
kind of brought to life in a way that's cooler than you would have imagined it being brought to life. And like, as a prose writer, you don't get to have that experience very often, but like this was, I was, you know, really lucky to, you know, to have that. So, I mean, I think, so I have, I have all kinds of favorites, but I will say that like sort of late ish in the process, because I was done later, Joan was done with the main, like the sort of however many of the main primary paintings, like sooner than I was done with the prose, because I would slow. So I think, you know, we talked about doing this. This was for, we, they were initially for another purpose and they ended up just being like key art, like, in, but like these, all of these kind of uh, headshots of the players and the sidemen, um, I think are, just are incredible. You know, just that like, there's this sort of like Jim Hodder with a little madness in his eyes things like that i'm holding things up to the camera <laughs> but, on well, podcast because I, I don't understand how this medium works but there are these gonna there be are lots these of heads of, <laughs> yeah exactly there are these sort of headshots that joan did of of these guys who played on all these steely dan records and are these you know the the kind of the the, the you know, quintessential kind of yacht rock sidemen and who played on every record and sort of you know played went on to be in toto and all that stuff and they're just so kind of odd looking because this was a time when, especially for these guys, like they did not have to be handsome because they didn't have to be on MTV <laughs> right. and they were sidemen. And so they're all weird looking and they're great looking in, in the weirdness. And like, there's all like all of these guys. And like, it was just like, we would just kind of go through. I remember like being like on the phone with you and like looking at Google images and be like, Oh my God, like look at Jeff Porcaro's hair. Like that's really right. Good. Yeah. Like, they all got the assignment. And like, it's, look at Kenny Vance. Look at his hat. Yeah. Yes. It, it was the, I was, there was, I had one, I had this one paintbrush and I still, I still have it. I moved it uh, to London with me and it was my hair brush that I used for facial hair and for eyebrows. And all these are, they're hairy beautifully hairy dudes with lots of i mean i i went through a lot of tubes of burnt umber making this happen Um, but i was like if anything happens to this to this one brush i am fucked because because it's like how it's how it's how those those guys came out the way they did with the brush yeah we we have a friend named uh andre who embodies all of that to, to this day <laughs> and I'm actually seeing this weekend I don't, know if he, I, I don't know if he's going to look like the guys from Toto or the guys from Boston <laughs> I, I just don't know what's going to happen but it, it, it's exciting that he's still living that dream um, those guys are still out there yeah. man I mean like you can still like, yeah. you, if they're, like they're not extinct in New York you know it's I, I just Matt I feel Sweeney like there's, is walking you know, around. Matt, Matt Sweeney is walking around. I mean, major uh, dude, Matt Sweeney. I'm in Milwaukee, so it's it's very it's very Milwaukee chic. <laughs> I can tell you that. And I mean, I mean that to the this best day. Way. Um, yeah, man. Yeah, I mean, I think of like the guy that I used to buy pot from in New York who wouldn't shake hands with anybody. <laughs> <laughs> like, and just with, so like it's like the, he would come up to. He, you would, and would, you know, the guy who comes with back when you could, right. sir, he would come up to your house with like a case logic and yeah. unzip oh, it, yeah. and like it's all this. And they're like, you know, he was always like, this one's really stony. And I'd be like, well, that's what we, that's what it is. Like, that's what we, that's what it's for. That's, Strangest that's, dude that's in the world. Mission accomplished. Uh, you mentioned like in comic books as we start to like wind this down. Have you guys thought about collaborating on sort of expanding these stories as like a visual, like a comic book, essentially? So take something like King Kid Charlemagne and put out a volume of that's the story. Does that cross the uh, the mental desk there? 
I have a million projects that I want to do with with Jen, who's actually getting an art education now. I'm happy that this is the this is the last project before like you, Joan went to art school. So this is like the, the this is the this is capturing a, a moment in your art process and your practice as it evolves. And like the next when we come back to it, I have a lot of things. You know, having like watched the stuff that you put on Insta from you know the work that you're doing now, I'm like I have a lot of ideas. But yeah, I don't know that I would do. I don't know that I would try to like to to tell a st- like a straight story out of one of these things. I I think there might be some kind of you know there might be some kind of fictional idea, but I never you know I didn't want to. I think there is, I think there's a book of like noir stories inspired by Steely Dan songs, and I I bet they're good, and I understand the impulse for for wanting to to do that, but it's almost like I I I I would probably want it to be to be something different and if i'm going to be writing on top of somebody else's art i don't know that i would want to like i never wanted to be competing with donald and walter i think that was a note to self that i made pretty early in the process like when i was kind of like what the hell is this book even it was like don't try to be as smart as them don't try to be as smart as these songs don't try to be smarter than them don't try to be smarter than like the stuff that they wrote on their website in the early 2000s which is some of the wittiest stuff ever to you know come out of the pen of a rock star you know if you read donald's book which is a lot of uncollected work that he kind of you know from very that he wrote in various places and like premiere magazine and stuff like he's an amazing writer like i you know i don't know that i could write fictionally as well as they do and it's not even the main thing that they do which yeah. is infuriating <laughs> <laughs> it's it's frightening how serious they are uh as artists like or intimidating i should say even though there's like it's it once you feel the vibe, it's very inviting. But it's also, like you said, the, the dude's a hell of a writer. Both of them were. Yeah. And and I think that's, you know, I, we, it's it's too bad that we didn't get more, that they, that, you know, I understand why they weren't more prolific over the years, especially once they split up, because I think there was something about Donald had to basically, I think, relearn how to write. And I think he lost the, you know, once he was back with Walter and then he lost Walter, like there's kind of like, no, you know, I think that he just, do, you know, maybe doesn't know how to do it. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see another Donald solo record in his lifetime or many more, but I would also not be surprised if this, if this is it, if he's just going to be kind of a caretaker of, of the legacy, but I'm really sad that we don't have more, especially from Walter, because I really love 11, 11 tracks of whack. And everything that he gets into on that, and he's a, I think he becomes this really great sort of Zevon esque songwriter. And I, I wish there had been, I wish there was more of that. And I wish there was a Walter memoir and I could ghostwrite it for him, uh, you know, in that I would like, that would have been, that would have been great. Like, I, I wish there was, there was more of that because I, I feel like that's the, that's the one thing that's, that's sad is it's a sort of compact and kind of uh, unimpeachable discography to me, but there's so, there's so little of it versus like, somebody like bob dylan where you have a massive corpus to go you can never you'll never get through all of the bob dylan that there is to get through and think about are are there any plans to to show or exhibit any of the paintings or am i stepping on any sort of release uh, uh, events or anything okay pavement got to have a museum you guys should get to have something (laughs) yeah well, uh, there, there's there's going to be an event here in london at a, a place called the photo book cafe that has a small gallery downstairs. All of the paintings uh, for the book are in two large portfolios under a bed in my 
ex-mother-in-law's apartment in New York. And so I'm, I'm, I'm moving back to New York. I'm in London now, moving back to New York, uh, the, the last week of June. And at, at some point, you know, and there, there are a lot of moving pieces. I do want to have a show of all of those paintings. Um, the, the thing in London, I'm going to get some prints made and I'm going to see if I can bust out a few uh, Dan-related small paintings to show there just because it is a small gallery space. Um, but I, you know, I, 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 I would like for that to be a thing. I have not uh, made it happen yet, but I very much would like for that to be a thing. It, it, is it insulting if I say that I, I want all of these as in their original form, but I also want all of them as velvet paintings? <laughs> because uh, and, and, I, and I want them down uh, there while I'm listening to Steely Dan. <laughs> Dude, now you just yeah. I ha- I don't know how I hadn't thought about that before. That is uh, now I need to make some velvet paintings. Please, please. <laughs> That's fantastic. Some black light, like black light Fagan. Oh yeah. Yeah, the, what about yeah. a what about a velvet jacket with with Fagan on the back and oh, black man. light paint? Oh, I mean, yeah, into a, it. Absolutely. Just make it happen. Our brief when we were when we were first talking about doing this, I think one of the things that I said was that I wanted it to be the kind of book that you could find in like the book corner of a head shop. Yep. You know, one of those ones. I wanted it to feel like that it would be next to the, like you know like next to Guy Peeler's Rock Dreams and stuff. You know, like those kind of books that you would see that you would see yeah. around that like. You know, or there was one that was like a, there's a book of like illustrations of talking head songs and they, that exists called what the songs look like, which I had when I was a kid. Cause I was, my dad was a big talking heads fan. So I was, I was a big talking heads fan too. But yeah, I think there was something, there was something about this being a, you know, a countercultural artifact, uh, in, 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 in some way, which fits in with, with the, with the velvet and the black yeah. light of it all. Like I, I, I want, I wanted it to feel a little bit like some kind of a you know strange like like i have like this weird sort of stevie wonder fan biography from the 70s that kind of was like clearly just knocked out in a weekend by the writer and like it's very much you know uh trying you know trying to be that you know a book for people who don't read you know and like sort of and for for heads and so i think that's the you know i think it became much more of a real book in that sense but i you know it's still i, I hope it has a, a little bit of that kind of you know bong water uh you know the atmosphere too yeah you can pick up your bong your tapestry <laughs> your book it's a one, one yeah, scratch up, some scratched up some, mirrors yeah, some screens yeah. and uh yeah this is you know one of those things that lets you beat a urine test and <laughs> quantum criminals so last 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 question and this is sort of the both of you is in the process of this, what did you did you learn anything new about Steely Dan? Either just like in researching this for your your individual work, or from what the other one was doing? A tremendous, tremendous amount. It's it's so deeply researched. It's so I, there, there, there's that Alex explored songs characters narratives theories uh painted pictures of little little scenes here and scenes there and drew lines between past and present and 
things in the fandom now and things in the culture then and speculations about uh, X, Y, and Z, just, just the way that it's all threaded together made me think about these songs and about the band in general in a completely new way that uh, that deepened my already boundless love for these records. And I think the book will do the same for everybody that reads it. I think it's so beyond brilliantly written and you can't read it and not learn new things. And I know in the researching of it too, uh, you know, sometimes I'd get a text and be like, dude, did you know that da-da-da-da-da-da-da? Like there would be some some new uh some some new uh little easter egg or some new little thing that it, it's it's yeah you you can't i i truly think you can't you can't read this without having um a new perspective new insights and um and and new new uh a new pair of if not rose-colored glasses, maybe rose-colored glasses, different colored glasses through which you you uh, look at all this stuff. I, I think, I mean, thank you, Jesus. Uh, but <laughs> but I, 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 I hope so. I hope that that's, the, that that's the way it is, that it's exciting for people who've thought about Steely Dan their whole lives and is maybe also kind of a, a way in and, a, you know, a, sort of a, the, the, the door into this for, 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 for novices. I think that, I mean, the main thing that I got from it, you know, this was a real kind of dive into why I liked something and, you know, kind of a, what, what, what I loved about them. And I think I can probably articulate that better. But I think the thing that I really came away from it with was a sense of, you know, Steely Dan are famously sort of cold and sarcastic and ironic and abstruse and all of those things that are kind of, you know, often leveled against bands, you know, intellectual, all of those, all those words, you know, they're, they're used pejoratively, but I just, I have a, a, an even deeper appreciation for the amount of empathy that's in these songs and they, what the, you know, their empathy for, you know, for struggling people and for people's kind of self delusion and kind of people's trying to, you know, trying to convince themselves that they're having a good time as they're in the, the grips of, you know, self-destruction and neurosis and all that. And, you know, I think that these images really kind of underline that in a great way and kind of bring out their, the, the humanity of these characters that you might sort of, you know, the, otherwise be these, you know, kind of these disco stew kind of caricatures <laughs> yeah. of people. Like right, you can right, see right, it right, as, right. you know, you can, you can, you, you could certainly see, you know, you can, you can listen to these songs and think about that, or you can kind of, kind of see, you know, the, like, I think, I think what's here, which is almost like these are, you know, they're, you both see their extreme humanity and also the kind of nobility that they project onto themselves. You know, I think that's, what's, that's, what's so great about it. And like, you know, I, I tried to do that in, in the writing, but like, you know, goodness knows that like the, the, the visual kind of gets into your third eye, like a, a lot quicker at makes that happen. And so I, I think that's, you know, I just, it, it's weird to talk about the empathy of Steely Dan and the sort of the, the, the humanist, humanist songwriters, Donald Fagan <laughs> and Walter Becker. But I, I'm going to, the, I'm going to that wall saying that I'm going to, I'm, 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 I'm holding them up that way, whether they'd hold themselves up that way or not. Yeah, I, I think that's that's the biggest triumph of the book as a whole is that it humanizes this stuff. 
I, I can tell you as somebody whose partner makes them go in the basement or requests they go in the basement to listen to Steely Dan, uh, you know, <laughs> that, that they, uh, they, they saw, uh, the first like chapter and the first chapter of this and they're like, this is, this is like, I might be interested in Steely Dan now. So thank you guys for that. <laughs> yeah, look, listen to them upstairs. Yeah, oh, I do. Come, we're coming out of the basement. Bring it into the light. But I, I love that that you have to go and it's like like that. There's a like you're handling toxic chemicals or something, and so you need to be in a well ventilated <laughs> like environment. I have upstairs copies and downstairs copies of every Steely Dan record, <laughs> that's, 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 and, and Eduardo can vouch for that. Um, thank you guys so much. I, I, I too had those. Nice. Thank you guys so much uh, for doing this book, for taking the time to talk, and uh, everybody go out and get it. You said May twenty third. Yeah. Yeah. May twenty third. Wherever you get your books from. Uh, thanks, discologists. Yeah. This has been so yeah. fun. Yes, it's been great. Okay, so great. Thank you. We'll see you later. Yeah. So that was our chat with Alex and Joan. Um, really, really just so fun. You know, it's, it's a shame that um, we're in an audio, uh, you know, media environment because you all listening to this won't have gotten to see a lot of the amazing artwork. But, but even having Joan kind of flip through the book and, and, and sort of show us some of the things was really, really riveting. You can see some of that on her, on her Insta, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she's posted but, and, something there. And we'll there. have some of these in the, in the post on the site. Yeah. I think there's, okay, there's a couple images that we can put up there. Awesome. Well, yeah, that was really fun, right, Kevin? It it was. I, I've read the book twice now. I, yeah. I love this, and I love this type of book because it's it's just kind of it's like a reference manual. Yeah, I kind of I kind of love too that people hearing this won't you know like like I anticipate that for the next six months or so I will get a text from someone once a week when they're in a bookstore or something and they see this book and I'll get right. someone will text me a picture and say hey saw this thought of you right so. So to all my friends who are who are going to do that, you don't know how great this book is yet. Um, yeah. But but please please do that because I want I want to be reminded that you're out in the world seeing seeing this book in the wild and uh, thinking of me. Yeah. So uh, and then I guess looking forward uh, to them. You know, Joan is working on her art. Alex is working on is I need to read his Keanu book. I do need to do that. Yes. I, I'm yes, very intrigued yes, by that's that. On, that's on and my list. Uh, yeah. hopefully an illustrated comic ad, man. Let's get let's get that optioned. We'll talk to Netflix, right? Casey Casey talk to Netflix, so maybe we can get Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if yeah. Casey can get a Netflix deal. That's right. <laughs> Anybody can. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh so that's the show. Uh coming up. We don't know what album we're gonna talk about next. We are wrapping up the season. Kind of. It's starting to wind down. We do know that we're going to be talking... You're going to hear from Robert Ellis. Uh, mm-hmm. His album, Yesterday's News, is coming out. You're going to hear from Sean Barna coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, his album, Evening at Macri Park, is coming out. Uh, I found out recently, weirdly, that they are now friends. So my, my universe is like... <laughs> <laughs> this is the Kevin the Kevin convergence he, upon he, us. He met and then just went partied all night with uh, Ellis, which is not something I have done, but uh, I look forward to doing it next time I go to Austin. Well, I I can I can say too that uh, 
Robert told a great story when I saw him at the old Songbird yeah, a couple yeah, yeah. years ago about a very late night he had with the Game of Thrones cast, and I'm sort of I'm sort of hoping we can get him to talk about that on mic. I don't we'll see. I don't know anything about that. There's one thing, um, and uh, and actually we were supposed to be talking to him right now as we're taping this. So, yeah. So, yeah. but it's it's fine. Um, but uh, yeah, he's good for stories, man. Yeah. <laughs> He's a funny dude. Um, yeah, and then uh, I think, yeah. So we'll just do that, and, and then some... it'll be, and then it'll be summer. People start thinking about what your summer playlists are going to look like and what you want to be bumping in the backyard. Ooh. Should we, yeah. like, make a playlist? We're yeah. I mean, that's that's the new thing, right? It's like cutting edge to make a playlist, right? But we're going on break in June because mm-hmm. of summer. Because you shouldn't be listening to podcasts in the summer. You should just be out doing shit. You. You really shouldn't. To quote to quote David Berman, you should be too busy getting along with people. Yeah. 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 So so we're gonna make a playlist. So we have okay. album, probably two or three albums. Yeah. Robert Ellis, uh, Sean Barna, and then a playlist. Yeah. Okay. And the albums we have sort of tentatively slated that we've talked about, I think, are are exciting records. And I think I think I'm weirdly I'm excited. Forward to, and we're doing it a little yeah. differently because we now we know everything that we're gonna play. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. So that's fine. That's fine. Change is good. Uh, all right. Well, then let's get out of here and then uh, go back and uh, get the book and uh, listen to this like two or three times. If I can read the book two or three times, you can listen to this two or three times. Yeah. Tell your friends. Oh, that's the last thing. Oh, the last thing. Mm. All these likes and stuff on the Twitter and Facebook and all this stuff and everything uh, is fantastic. But what is even better is telling your friends. That's how we yep. met. Yep. Like we're friends now because somebody was like, "Hey, I think this guy is doing something you might like." <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's exactly what happened. And uh, <laughs> and and so just like if if you listen to it, like tell your friends, like, "Hey, check in on this." There's a, just like 500 episodes. You can find something you like, uh, and then uh, yeah, get them hooked. Yeah. We're a drum. Anyways. Uh,